Man, what a powerful name it is. Sometimes we forget how powerful that name is. Again, my name is Jordan. I'm one of your pastors here at Christ Covenant. I am excited to be able to share God's word with you this morning, especially since today we are beginning a new sermon series entitled The Men Behind the Exodus. We just finished a series entitled The Women Behind the Exodus because, of course, ladies first, and now we're going to be studying the men. This morning, we're going to begin our series by looking at a man named Aaron. Now, Aaron doesn't get all the press in uh, Sunday school. Um, Aaron is the brother, the older brother of Moses. Uh, he, was be- he was born three years prior to Moses, so we can assume that the law to throw all the male newborn babies into the Nile had passed after he has born. That's what we can assume. Or somehow he escaped it. But either way, he is three years older. He is alive and he is going to meet with his brother. We don't know anything about Aaron's childhood. We're, we aren't introduced to Aaron until he's 83 years old. At 83 years old, God has called Aaron to go and meet his brother Moses. Now, Aaron had a crazy life. Aaron, uh, of course, as we're going to study today, was called by God to be with Moses and to be a partner, a co-speaker for God as they deliver the Hebrews, the Israel nation, from Egypt. But later in Exodus, we see that Aaron also was an idol factory. He created an idol for the the Israelites once they were complaining about not having this uh, relationship with God. They were impatient. They were ignoring the, the God who had saved them. And so he created this golden calf. He later would repent. Um, and we see his faithfulness in God and his trust in God as his sons were actually murdered. Um, I shouldn't say murdered. His sons were destroyed, as the Bible put it, by God for their disobedience. And he did not protest it, understanding that the Lord was the one who was in control. So we see that he became, became a man of faith. He also is the first of the priesthood nation of the Israelites. So you'll see throughout the whole Old Testament that the, that the chosen nation of God had a high priest uh, throughout the nation. And this would all be the lineage of Aaron. So he was uh, from the tribe of Levi. And so all of Aaron's descendants would be this from this tribe of Levi. And they would be the priestlyhood of the Jewish nation. It would take weeks to break down all that Aaron did throughout the Exodus. Uh, we could spend a whole series talking about um, how his role throughout uh, his life. So I selected um, a portion of scripture specifically to talk about Aaron's role in the initiating of the Exodus from Egypt. And so happens that this is actually the next verse from where Pastor Brian left off last week, talking to the women from the Exodus talking about Moses' wife. So if you're here next week, pull out your, your Bible marker. We're right, we're right there. We're from, going from the next verse. If you were not here last week, I encourage you to go on our app. You can go, go to iTunes and just download Christ's Covenant. You'll see it. Um, or go to our website, and you'll find Pastor Brian's sermon from last week, which will coincide directly with today's scripture. Having said all that, our scripture this morning is from Exodus 4 beginning in verse 27. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Hear the word of God. And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. 
And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Amen. Thus saith the Lord. Our text this morning, again, immediately follows uh, our narrative from last week. And we see that God is directly speaking to Aaron. And we can see that Aaron must be a man of faith. God speaks directly towards him and he's, he says, go meet your brother. And he says, okay. And so Aaron would be a believer in the God of the Hebrews. It says, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Now, the mountain of God is a place of significance. We're introduced to the mountain of God in the previous chapter. It says in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 1, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed." So we know the story of the burning bushes happened on the Mount Horeb, another name for Mount Sinai, or the mountain of God. And this is where God had first revealed himself to Moses. This was a place of significance, the mountain of God. This later, God would give Moses the Ten Commandments here on the mountain of God. And so this was, as the Lord said, holy ground. This was a place where God encountered his people, where he chose to reveal himself to Moses, and so I believe that this is a place of significance and that it's mentioned for this reason. I believe that God set this place for the two brothers to meet so that before they go and do their great work in Egypt, they would meet with him first. And I love what Pastor Brian said last week, and it really struck home with me, and is that as, as Moses was making his way back to Egypt, God, halfway there, had to deal with his sin first. Before God could do great things, through Moses, he had to deal with his sin first. And that really, really spoke to me, and I feel like that's what God desires for us. And then step two, deal with our sin, and then, and then fellowship with the Lord. God has called Aaron and Moses to meet together on holy ground before they go into Egypt. And God does this to us today. Before we do anything, we're best suited to meet with our Creator first. He desires to use you and to do mighty things, but you must first deal with your sin and meet with the Lord. He desires for us to be with him in what we call communion with him so that our works may glorify him and him alone. Jesus gave us this same example when he called his disciples. In Mark 3, chapter 14, Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they, may, they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So with him, then go out. We see that the brothers were excited about this reunion as we read that Aaron met his brother with a kiss. This was a good reunion. They hadn't been together for 40 years. It's been a long time. And so they got together and they were excited to share what God was doing each in their lives. It says that Moses told Aaron all the words 
of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Imagine what kind of reunion this is. I saw a bush on fire and it was talking and it was not burning, but it was on fire. And Aaron said, I believe it. God's speaking to me too. Imagine this reunion. And so God has created this divine reunion between Moses and his brother. And we know, you know, that Aaron, if you know your Bible, Aaron was sent because Moses had been complaining multiple times. But the la- his last complaint was, Lord, I, I can't, but I should, Lord, I got this stutter. I, 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 should, I shouldn't be able to speak. I don't speak eloquently. Whatever it was, whether it was a stutter or whether he was, you know, just shy or low-spoken, whatever it was, God sent Aaron to Moses to be his mouthpiece. But I also believe that God sent Aaron to Moses so that Moses would have a brother beside him. And I think that's important. And I don't think everybody's like me in here, but, but for me that's important to remember because I often forget that I am at an advantage if I have a brother on my side. I often think it's easier for me to be isolated. I want to be alone, because that way you won't really get to know what I'm struggling with. (laughs) If I'm alone, then you don't see my flaws. If I'm alone, then you don't know how much I'm struggling. But when I'm next to a brother who knows, and I'm open and honest with them, and they know about my walk with the Lord and where I'm struggling, God has placed them there to encourage me, to pray for me, to be accountable. You ever heard that phrase, two are better than one? You know where that comes from? Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. All throughout scripture, God has placed us in communities, in churches, in families, in small groups, and as much as you desire to, to creep into your hole, especially, especially when you are deliberately sinning against God, when you are in willful disobedience, it is the place that you want to go is in the corner, in the dark by yourself, and I don't want to talk to anybody. It's our nature to be ashamed. It's our nature because we were born with this guilt because we're sinful. But God doesn't allow that for his children. He's calling us out of the darkness with brothers. The hardest thing to do is to be honest with somebody who loves you about what you're struggling with. I mean, for me, at least. Some of you know me really well, and you know, and you, you know me really well, yet you don't know me at all. Because I struggle with that. You know, I thank God for... I think, I thank God for a brother like Jason who just pulled me in my office this morning and said, what's up, man? And how freeing it is to just say, man, I am going through some really tough stuff and to be, we could be able to share those burdens together. And God called Aaron to Moses because Moses needed a brother. I got to move on. Whew. When we're experiencing times of trouble and despair, God has given us means of grace to remind us of his love, prayer, his word, and fellowship. I believe that this was a divine reunion and it was held to encourage and strengthen strengthen these two brothers before they were going to accomplish mighty things for God. 
Our text continues, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. So these elders would be the representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel. But keep in mind, these were not uh, royalty as far as the world would be concerned. Israel was in slavery and bondage, but these would be the descendants of the 12 tribes of Israel gathered together representing this nation of slaves. And Moses and Aaron came together and they spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. Now, as Moses was complaining before he went to Egypt and he's saying, you know, I got a stutter. Before he said he had a stutter, he's like, Lord, but nobody's ever going to believe me. Like a bush on fire, like God spoke to me. Nobody's ever going to believe me. That's reasonable. So God says, well, okay, Moses, well, I am going to uh, give you this supernatural ability to perform some miracles so that the people would know that what you were saying is true. So scripture tells us that he gave him the ability to perform three miracles. The first one was Moses had a staff. You've seen, you know, the old movies. Moses had a staff. And the first, the first miracle was uh, God told him to throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground and it turned to a snake. And like everybody should be, he was terrified of the snake, right? If you're a snake person, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know about your childhood. But anyway, <laughs> throws it on the floor. It becomes a snake. He jumps back and... God says, grab it. And he's like, okay, grabs it and turns back into a stick. Miracle number one. Miracle number two is, he says, Moses, put your hand in your pocket. God holds him to do that. He puts his hand in his pocket, he pulls it out, and it's like straight out of the walking dead, leprosy, uh, skin falling off his hand. And Moses is again terrified. He puts it back in his pocket. God tells him to take it out, completely restored. Third miracle is he says, take some water from the Nile, dump it on a pile of sand, and he dumps it on a pile of sand, turns to blood. So Moses is given these signs, and uh, we believe that he performed at least two out of three of these signs in front of the people, and the people were like, what? Like, this guy is obviously has been sent from the Lord, and they believe him. And so Aaron, speaking the things of the Lord, became the mouthpiece of the Lord. He became a prophet for the Lord. And in the midst of all of Moses' excuses, God shows Moses grace by sending him Aaron. As Moses is saying, God, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. You know, God could have said, fine. <laughs> Next. He could have done that. But God shows his love and mercy and grace to Moses and sends him a brother. We see earlier in the chapter that while Moses was complaining, the anger of the Lord was kindled against him. Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? And just real quick. This is God speaking angrily to his, his, love, his loving kid. Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. He shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Later, as they are confronting Pharaoh in chapter 7, and the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. God provided Moses assistance when he was being resistant. This is true of us today. God is working out so graciously solutions 
despite our resistance. Think about that. Think about how much we run away or restrain from doing what we know we should do. How we do what we shouldn't do, but we do what we shouldn't do, yet God still uses it out for his glory. Resistance. He sends assistance. God provided a brother, a meeting place in the presence of God and great miracles so that these two brothers may be faithful, encouraged, and confident in the delivery of God's plan. Moses may have been making a lot of excuses. There's four that we read of as God's telling him to go deliver his people. He makes all these excuses. But at least he's looking for God's assistance. At least he's, a, he's, he's reasoning with God. And I don't know about you, but I often look for assistance for my resistance in other places. When I am making excuses of why I cannot carry out my life as a Christian brother, I look for the world to satisfy my sorrows. So God tells me I need to be a friend in this way. God tells me I need to sacrifice something in this way. And I say, Lord, I don't know if I'm going to do that. I'm just going to go over here instead. This, this thing over here is going to bring me some sort of happiness and joy immediately. And so we go for that quick fix real quick, which leaves us empty in sorrow long term. When God says, wait for me, man, wait. Allow my assistance. We trust in the world instead of trusting in God, and I pray that we would learn to deny the assistance of the world. It may seem friendly, but it's not. It's not. It's deceitful. The world tells you, listen, this will make you feel better. The world will tell you, listen, if you do this and look like this, you will do better. People will love you because of it. If you look, act, feel, and talk like this, you will win. And it's a lie. It's the first lie ever told. Eat this, you'll be like God. Aaron and Moses spoke these words to the people. And in verse 31, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, and I want to start there, stop there, the word visited. When they heard that the Lord had visited, that's, that's the English standard uh, version. In other versions, it's when they heard that the Lord was paying attention to them. Or acknowledging or watching. That word visited means paying attention to. And so think about it. As these people are in slavery, or in bondage, right? They hear these words that, that God sees them in their afflictions. He knows about where they're suffering and he, that he promises to deliver them. And they believed. And I think we need to hear that once more. If you feel like you're in bondage, or you feel like you're in slavery or oppression, or you feel like there's no way out of what you're in right now, nothing's going to fix it. You've tried everything. God will deliver you. They believed. God sees your affliction. He's paying attention to you. You are not insignificant. Christ died for you. He's paying attention to your struggle, to the thing that nobody knows that you are dealing with. 
hear his word today and believe. What an encouragement this passage is. I was frightened when I was, I looked at it, I was preaching on Aaron. And what an encouragement it was to me this week. It's a reminder that even in our darkest moments when we feel like there's no hope, when we're in the depths of sin and despair, that God is paying attention. That he visits and that he has promised deliverance. He sees our struggles, our depression, anxiousness, ugh, loneliness. He promised deliverance. And this passage is a reminder of the covenant relationship, a promised relationship that God has with his people. And God used Aaron to be the mouthpiece of deliverance. Through Aaron's life and relationship with the Lord, it was a bumpy one. He created another, God, another false god for people to worship. But God had a plan for him. And even in his sin, God called him to repentance. And by his holy counsel, God's holy counsel, God elected Aaron to be the first high priest. What an honor. Think about that. And that his lineage, the Levites, would be the high priestlyhood. So what's the role of the high priest? If you've ever studied the Old Testament, the priest... The high priest of the Israelites would make an animal blood sacrifice to atone for the sin of the people repeatedly and for the sin of himself. So he'd take a goat before the altar of the throne, an innocent animal, cut its throat, spill the blood, because that's what God demanded, blood for the covering of sin. On the Day of Atonement, this holy day throughout the year, he would actually enter into the tabernacle, into the holies of holies, which he was the only one who ever went in there one day, one day a year. And it was where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so he'd go into the presence of God and make atonement for the sin of the people. This was the way that God and sinners were reconciled in the Old Testament by the sacrifice of blood. I could have a relationship with God if my sins were atoned by the cutting of an animal's throat. Exodus 29 I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So Aaron would serve as his, as his first high priest and his descendants afterwards for, we'll say, 2,000 years or so. He would have high priests. And so he would be the first high priest and then there would be the last high priest. And he would be this man, a carpenter from Nazarene. Heard of him? This man from Nazarene named Jesus would be established as the new high priest from the line of Judah. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, it says, But when Christ appeared, this man Jesus, who was also God, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify, for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Wow. 
You see, on an old rugged tree where the Son of God was slain, the great high priest made a final sacrifice an atonement for the sins of God's people. This was the last sacrifice needed because in it, Christ perfectly obeyed and took upon the wrath of God for our sins upon himself. In this final sacrifice, our sins were placed upon him and he was crushed for them. Do you think the blood of a goat in the Old Testament would cover my sin? I mean, that's the relationship God established between us, right? But logistically, realistically, God was using this as a symbol. God was saying there's going to be something innocent, slain, poured out and crushed to cover your sin. And every animal sacrifice that was made in the Old Testament to cover for sin was pointing to Christ. That's why that covenant agreement could reconcile. Because it was a representation of Christ. Today's scripture should be a reminder of God's great mercy. We see that Aaron brings the good news of salvation, of deliverance. Aaron's faithfulness to respond to the Lord's calling and declaring of God's plan of deliverance was the initiating freedom from slavery. The people believed that day. We believe in a God who was and is and is to come. So the same God who did this then does this now. He is an unchanging, mighty God who has established his ways before the foundation of the earth. There is not a change in who he is. He delivered his people from slavery and he does this today. And he will usher them into the promised land and he will usher us into his promised land. Amen? Oh. The people heard these words and they bowed their heads and worshipped. Even while still in bondage, the good news of salvation caused them to respond. Their response was the correct one. They worshipped God and we are called to do the same. You may be feeling distant with the Lord. I don't know everybody's relationship with the Lord right now. But I know for my life, there's plenty of times that I feel distant. And we may be feeling oppressed by shame or guilt over some sin. But Jesus is calling you today to be honest. To be truthful with him about your struggles and say, say to him, he wants you to say this, Lord, I surrender it all. I'm going to come to your altar, Lord, now and lay this. I, I can't do it anymore. I need deliverance. I'm in bondage. And we see through our texture this morning that he is calling us to come to him. He understands your struggles. He is not this distant God who doesn't know us. He sent his son to be like us so that we would know him. A high priest, as Hebrews 4, 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Ah, oh. 
Why do we resist that? That is such good news. The good news brought to them that day by whom eventually would become their high priest caused them to bow and worship this holy yet visiting God. Aaron would spend the rest of his life interceding and atoning for sin, mediating between God and his people. And that first day amongst the elders of the Israelites, God had sent someone who would become the high priest to declare the good news that our God is paying attention to us even in our affliction and that he has a plan for deliverance. Hebrews 5, and being made perfect, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. You know, Aaron, as a high priest, couldn't offer himself as a sacrifice, right? Why? Because he was sinful. Right? They need a blood of an innocent lamb. Uh, no human could sacrifice themselves to cover for the sin of a brother because it's sinful blood. Innocent blood needed to be shed to cover sin. Jesus offered himself because his blood was innocent. It covers all our sin. Aaron and all the priests that followed them, they died and they remained dead, but the, the, man that they, the man God that they foreshadowed was Jesus and he offered himself a living sacrifice and because he was sinless, it atones for our, all of our sins for a multitude of nations and three days later he rose again and he's eternally sitting at the right hand of God the Father praying and interceding for us even right now. You see, everything in the Old Testament, everything throughout however old you believe this world to be. Everything from eternity past points to the crucifixion of a sinless Savior. Everything, every act that's ever been, every act of grace that God has performed points to one point in history, the crucifixion, the sacrifice, the atonement for sins of a sinless Savior for a sinful people. And everything that's happened since then points back to the one point in history where a sinless Savior of a, sin, of a sinful people died on a cross. Jesus is the point of history. Everything that's happened and everything that will happen points to Jesus. And if you believe in him, his blood covers all your sin. And you, God, and you, you're reconciled. Oh, Hear the good news that our great high priest has brought us today, as the Israelites did that day. That even in our affliction, he knows you, he sees your pain, he loves you, and he's calling you into himself today for deliverance. He's calling you to hear his word, to meet with him in prayer, to fellowship with believers, so that we can understand who this God is. How do we know that? How do we know that he loves us and calls us for deliverance? He sent his son to die. In such a display of love. Why did Christ die for us? Because he was appointed, given the responsibility of being the high priest, the atonement of sin. And as our high priest, he made himself willing to sacrifice, a willing sacrifice for our sin. What, what blood could ever cover the amount of sin that you have in you? 
when I think of the, the sin that I have, I have performed and obtained and have thought of throughout my life, it, it feels like nothing could ever cover that. But how about the sin? How about the blood of God? Sinless. The blood of God himself incarnate, Jesus Christ. May we respond like the elders did that day. May we bow down and worship him. Father God, I thank you for your word. You are astounding in the way that you reveal yourself in it. Forgive me, Father, for I look every other way to find identity and value and joy. And yet it's right here in front of me. You have revealed yourself in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through your holy scriptures, Lord, that we know you and that we can begin to understand the amount of love that you have for your people, that you would deliver us by sending your one and only Son. Jesus, we thank you that you willingly sacrificed yourself. May we not forget the price that was paid for us, and may that cause us, Lord, to bow down and worship you. We come to you now, Lord, and give you praise. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.